The following sermon is by Kenny Jones, Associate Pastor of Capital Community Church located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, are from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 9 o'clock a.m. every Sunday morning. If you have any questions, please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? I just want you all to know I'm glad you don't laugh at Jim's jokes like you don't laugh at mine. It brings me great comfort to know that as I try to work on those throughout the week. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, well, good morning to you again, and welcome to Capital Community Church. Our Pastor Grant is out this Sunday, and you can be praying for him even now because he is preaching in lieu of his father-in-law down in Beaufort, South Carolina. We North Carolinians call it Beaufort, North Carolina, but he is in Beaufort, South Carolina, and he is preaching at Community Bible Church this morning. And so you can be praying for him. And, and with that, he's actually preaching his abortion message. And so if you were here with us, yeah. So if you were here with us back on May 8th, he preached a fantastic message of defending uh, life, of, of God's value of life, and defending how God loathes abortion. And I mean that wholeheartedly. He hates abortion. God does. And so Grant did a wonderful exposition on the value of life and how God honors and wants life protected. And so if you haven't listened to that, go back uh, and listen to it. It is a phenomenal passage of Scripture that he went through. If you have your Bibles, I want you to flip over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And like our friend Jim said, this morning we are going to be looking through a two-part series in Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church of praying for spiritual strength and inner knowledge. If you know much about the book of Ephesians, if you know much about Paul, you will realize pretty quickly that Paul is a prayer warrior. Paul is a prayer warrior. He takes his cue from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who taught us how to pray, and as well as the many disciples that have gone on before uh, Paul and the Old Testament of seeing how prayer matters in the life of the church, but also for the individual believer. And so very, prayer is very, is very vital to the Christian, but also to the church. And Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21 is probably, in my retrospect, is probably one of the more famous passages within all of Paul's letters because he is praying more or less a doxology, a doxology. He's giving praise to God of who God is and what he has done. And so Paul, in these few verses, is summarizing the work of the gospel within this prayer. In just a few short verses, he is summarizing, as he says over seven times within the book of Ephesians, the mystery of the gospel. And through the mystery of the gospel, the Christian has unspeakable power that lives inside of us, that we inherited all through Jesus Christ. And that's the prayer that Paul has for us. That's the prayer that he is expounding to the church in Ephesus and to the elders there that he labored with many uh, years before. And the fascinating part about this letter is if you know much about the book of Ephesians, Paul in this context is writing from a jail cell. He is in prison as he is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. 
And he is writing, he is writing in that jail cell because he is put in prison because he is a minister of the gospel. That's why he is imprisoned. And if you take the book of Ephesians, you can really divide it in half. It's six chapters, very brief book. And within that half, you can take chapters one through three to be church doctrine or doctrine or the Christian doctrine, things that are pertaining to salvation, the Holy Spirit, the work of God. You can see the foundation of the church being built up within chapters one through three. And then in chapters four, five, and six, Paul gives the practical application of that doctrine, meaning what you've learned in chapters 1 through 3, this is how you apply it in chapters 4, 5, and 6. That's what we see here within this letter, and specifically what we see here in the, within chapter 3. And then the, look, the way to look at chapter 3 is basically a summarization of those truths, because he repeats two times, for this reason, for this reason. And the reason why he can say that is because all of the mystery and the power of the gospel. And that's what we see here. But the interesting thing about this prayer I want to call out for us this morning is that prayer, I believe, in the Christian church today is becoming more and more absent. More and more absent. You know, I put in your outline, if you got one, that there's a famous quote by Rene Descartes that says, I think, therefore I am. I've always found that quote fascinating because it doesn't make any sense. The reason why he says that is because if you think you have an inner conscience and through the process of natural reason and thought, you, you exist. So you can almost flip that quote in reverse and say, I am, therefore I think. And that doesn't even make sense either. And I say that with a, with a purpose because what Paul breaks down to us in this prayer in verses 14 through 21 is, is that the Christian has a purpose. When the Christian is thinking, when the Christian is putting the Christian doctrine into practice, a huge element of this is all because of prayer. Is all because of prayer. When you learn about the great truth that we sung and Jim prayed, when you realize of of the unsearchable knowledge of Christ and how great and awesome the gospel is, it truly is, as Paul says numerous times in this letter, a mystery. Now, you know what a mystery is. You can look on TV, for example, like Law and Order. I love Law and Order. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I love Law and Order. But, you know, there's always a crime committed, and there are, you know, cases and clues that the detectives are leading up to solve. And that's the that, that illustration there of a mystery is ultimately what Paul summarizes here within this prayer for spiritual strength. Paul really does push up that notion of, I think, therefore I am, because what Paul wants us to see is not your identity is made within what you think. Your identity is made in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have, you have not a blind faith, but a faith that has a track record in the eternal things of God. And so therefore, you're able to walk according to the counsel of the will of God, to the power of his word, and have this inner strength that surpasses knowledge. That you have this strength all because of Christ and your internal inherited blessing from him that gives you power to live a life that is pleasing and perfect unto him. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning together. And so, like I said, if you have your Bible, flip over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and listen along with me, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer. What a prayer. And to that end, let us go to the Lord now in prayer and ask him to teach us through his word. Bow your heads with me. Eternal Lord and Heavenly Father, what a distinct privilege that we have the opportunity to come and worship. Thanks be to God for your word. For Father, it is by your word that it is eternal, it's holy, and it is inspired and written by you. And so Lord, help us to be instructed by it. Help us, as it says in Deuteronomy 6, to have it on the frontlets of our eyes. So, Father, that we can live a peaceful and quiet life and a holy life that is giving glory to your great name. So, Father, teach us through your word, and it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Let's start off together in verse 14. Paul says, for this reason, for this reason. What is the reason that Paul is praying? Paul is praying because, as he said in verse 3, verse 1, therefore, again, he's praying because of all the spiritual blessings that can be found in Christ. Now, put this in your outline, and you can see the spiritual blessings there. He says in the previous chapter, in Ephesians chapter 2, that Christ makes us spiritually alive, that we are his workmanship, we're no longer strangers and aliens, we are built upon the foundations of the prophets, we are built, being built together as a dwelling place for the God and the Spirit. And because through these, this reason, that is why Paul is praying, all because of the inherited blessings we received from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what blessings they are when you read those in Ephesians chapter 2. And then, this is where he goes through, and I want us to break down this very slowly. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Let me repeat that. I bow my knees before the Father. Again, this begs repeating, this is a prayer. This is a prayer. And so what Paul is building for us is a posture that we need to have in prayer. Now, let me note this. Paul is not giving a required posture within prayer. We don't have to bow down every single time we do come in prayer. Because if we are going to be obedient to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, to pray without ceasing, a lot of times, if you're like me, some of the best prayers you ever had is driving down the road when you got a lot of windshield time, right? And so with the reality of praying without ceasing and praying at all hours of the day, like that verse says in 1 Thessalonians, Paul, what he's getting to is a posture within the heart. That's what he's wanting us to see here within Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. It is indicative that what he's pointing to us here is having a posture before a holy God. That's what he wants us to see here within this prayer. And that's the reason why also he's praying. Because a holy God sent forth his son, Jesus, and through Christ alone, we have these inherited blessings. So that's why he's bowing down and pray. And we see that the posture before the Lord matters. It does matter. We can see you in Matthew chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 6, verses 5 through 12. When Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, what does he say first? Hallowed be your name. God, Jesus knows there in that moment as he's teaching his disciples that we need to have a spirit of holy and reverence before God, which also means this. 
that we need to understand that the words that come out of our mouth and even the words that we have when we are praying internally matter before our Lord. We do not need to have flippant prayers or prayers that are formal for the sake of being serious. We are supposed to have a heart of worship that we just sang by Jake and the team. And that is the posture that Paul is wanting us to see here, that we can bow before the Father. And notice the key word. Look with me in your Bible. Before the Father. What does that mean? Okay, Kenny, I'm already bowing down. But what does bowing before the Father mean? Paul is saying that the posture of prayer is indicative because he's becoming face-to-face with God in prayer. Isn't that a humbling fact to realize? Paul is saying that when we are praying, we are coming face-to-face with God. That's the posture that we're called to have. As it says in your outline, we all, with an open face, beholding as a glass the glory of the Lord in 2 Corinthians. And that's exactly what we see here. Paul is bowing to be near to God to be face-to-face with God in prayer. And Paul practiced this with the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. When he was, last time he was with them, it says in Acts 20 verse 36 that he knelt down and prayed with them all. And then also look at the language within Ephesians 3.14. He's bowing the knees before the face of God, having a heart that is indicative coming before a holy God. And then he says this, before the Father before the Father. The Greek word there that we see here with Father is pater, which means it signifies a heavenly Father, a heavenly Father that listens to the prayers of His people. The heavenly Father listens to the prayers of His people. The use of Father, again, as I referenced just a moment ago, is in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 12. We come to the Father, like Jesus teaches us, hallowing ourselves before Him, We come to the Father with fear. We come to the Father with praise and adoration and petitioning our needs before Him. And we all come with this confidence, all because of our inherited blessing through Jesus. And that's what we see here. But here's something I want us to note. You know, in your outline it says that we're looking at the life in the Trinity, and very much prayer is the epitome of how we see the Trinity at work. Because we're able to go to God the Father, all because of the gospel of Jesus Christ by God sending His Son. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, He is our paraclete, our helper, praying on our behalf, interceding for us, even now, as you and I are sitting here for worship. And great doctrines like that, a lot of times, one can bring a little bit of confusion, but not here because we have the Bible, and because I'm the greatest preacher you've ever heard. I said that because Grant's not here. But I can get away with things like that every now and then. But the reality is this, and I I say this with all of my heart. When we come to rich doctrine like this, so often in the Christian faith, we have the temptation of we only want the doctrine. We only want the filet mignon all the time. But what we find ourselves here is Paul, even in these few, just few words within verse 14, as he is showing us rich theological doctrine, whether we realize it or not, Because we have been chosen for him for the foundation of the world, that we should live holy and live blameless before him. And because we have been adopted, as it says in Ephesians 1, we are able to come to God in prayer and bow our knees before him and know that the Heavenly Father hears our prayers all because of Christ. And that's rich doctrine, as I just said. But with doctrine, like I said, there's always the temptation of just taking it in an existential just taking it for what it is and not realizing that there is a practical element within the doctrine that we learn. 
Every week, Grant is preaching rich doctrine to us. He's giving us within John chapter 6 right now deep truth. But if you notice something within every single sermon he delivers, yes, there's deep truth, but there's also deep practical application in order to live that Christian life out on a daily basis. And that's what we see here within these few, this few, few words of Ephesians 3.14. For the reason I bow my knees before the Father, we could stop there, pray, and go home, all because of the work of the gospel. Having this knowledge will help us to be able to pray fervently, but also pray without ceasing. But again, I go back to the word I want to give you about doctrine. Like I said, it's tempting to want steak all the time. It's tempting to want steak all the time, but we have other things on the plate as well that we need to get to. And the reason why I say that is because when we understand and we learn doctrine, it's easy to fill our minds and our hearts and think that we are experts. We're subject matter experts on what the things of God. But the reality is we are constant disciples and learners. Disciples are constantly learning. They're always learning. And if you're like me, you have the temptation of being the doubting Thomas more times than you want to admit. And the reality is this. Christian doctrine, right doctrine, will either divide the soul or it's going to comfort the soul. And right doctrine always has to be grounded in Scripture, and it always has to be grounded in who God is and what He has done. And we have to see it through that lens. And it's important that we see it through that lens because the reality is this. If we just take just what we're learning here, and we stop. We can hold up that, that sense of rich biblical doctrine, and we can become arrogant. And we don't want that. The reality is also is this. I once heard a lady one time in her congregation talk about her ministry in Capital Kids, and I remember her saying to me once that she was holding an infant, and even though that infant can't talk, can't necessarily listen to the things of God, can't hear the Scripture, she prays. She prays for that baby. Folks, that's an example of doctrine and the practical application of what rich doctrine is, isn't it? Praying for that baby to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is a great example, and that is the example we see here within the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And the, and the reality is this. When we understand doctrine, and we are praying as Paul prayers, the reason before the Father God, through His Spirit, is going to give us ways that we don't even realize a lot of times and give us the application to be able to live that out on a daily basis. One of our, in our mission statements, one of the points that we make is to build gospel community. How do we build gospel community? Through prayer. Praying for one another. Yes, there are times when we need to, you know, literally help somebody. For example, if they are moving or going through a hard time in their life, yes, there are times when we are going to be physically there in their presence, helping them within that time of need. But the, also the reality is, is before you go to help them, are you praying before you get there? And are you praying after you go and help them? You see the model that, I'm, that Paul's painting for us here? And we have to have those elements. We have to be a people of prayer because there is a temptation, like I said, to have that, I think, therefore I am, or the other side of that temptation of having the American dream pour into our, our hearts and think that we can just pull ourselves by the bootstraps and just go, 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 and work, 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 and try to keep up with the Joneses, which, by, <laughs> which that's pretty hard to do. So, um, yeah, I didn't practice that. That just came naturally. Um, 
because you're always, you know, trying to keep up with me. So uh, anyway, but the real, there's a, that, but that is a great temptation that we have. Because that American dream, yes, we are called to work hard. It says there in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 4, that we need, if you don't work, you don't eat. Yes, we are called to work, but we're also called to prayer, pray, to pray for the needs of the church, to pray for the people in our lives. And this is also the beauty that we see here in verse 14. Whether you see it or not, this is the working of the Trinity that is happening within prayer. Robert Letham, I put this quote in your Bible, excuse me, in your, not in your Bible, but in your outline. It says this, in the prayer, the Spirit draws us into, into our own prayer, creating between us the Father and through grace the same relation he has to the Father and the Son by nature. The incarnate Son, as man, expressed his filial love of the Father as obedient love, affirming his love to the Father. Listen to this. For his part, the Holy Spirit sanctified, pervaded the Son's humanity, making it fit to participate in the love that the Son has for the Father. And look, look at these last two sentences. Thus we are drawn to the Holy Spirit into the relationship that the Son has with the Father. We are raised into communion with the persons of the Trinity. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that an amazing reality? And that is the beautiful work of God and three persons working together, working with three separate operations coming together as one and the life of the believer. What an amazing gift from God. But also, it goes back to what you may see just a few verses further. That is why we're able to have the power to be able to apply this Christian truth in our daily lives. Because the Trinity is at work within us. Being able to live out what, live out what God's Word says, how we are called to live as the call of Christ and as a Christian. And we see the example over and over again of the working of the Trinity within other examples of prayer. Look at our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's example. Luke chapter 6, he went on the mountain and prayed to the Father. Luke chapter 9, he came to pass, he was alone praying all night. If you want to write down in your notes one of the great examples of, the th- of God and three persons working together, read John chapter 17 with the high priestly prayer. That is a beautiful description of the Trinity being played out in in Jesus' prayer to the Father. But also, I want you to flip over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 for just a moment. That's over to your left as you're flipping there. Romans chapter 8. I want you to listen along with me in Romans 8, 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray. For as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And He, that's the Holy Spirit, searches the hearts and knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. See the working of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity working, the Holy Spirit praying for us. And what is He doing? What we pray will always, through the power of the Spirit, be always being prayer and always be in accordance to the will of God. Always to the will of God. Isn't that amazing? But there also is this. I'm going to just be very personal for a moment. There are times, especially within seasons of hardship and suffering, that we don't know what to pray. One of my dear friends, he pastors a church, and I remember his son was going through, a little boy, he was about four years old at the time, was going through horrible health issues. And I remember he told me that he would look at this prayer and he woke up in the middle of the night one time and he, and he was crying over his Bible. He had no idea what to pray. 
and all he could do was sometimes groan, not speaking in tongues, but groan because his spirit was hurting for his son. And all he could say was, Lord, help him. Lord, help him. Lord, help him. That's all he could get out. But don't you know in that personal and intimate prayer and the prayers that you have for your hardship and suffering, isn't it an amazing gift from our Lord to know that the Spirit is interceding on our behalf and praying according to the will of God, to the counsel according to His good will? Isn't that amazing to think about? Because if we're really honest with ourselves, I made the joke a minute ago about how a lot of times the best prayers I've had is when I've had a lot of dashboard time. The reality is this, when you are alone with God, and sometimes it is in your car, sometimes it is when you're alone in your bedroom or wherever the case may be, sometimes you just want to hit that dashboard because you are, your heart is breaking over a horrible situation or going through a season of suffering. But thanks be to God that we had the power of the Holy Spirit interceding for us and praying for us according to the will of God, because that is perfect and pleasing in our life. And here's also the reality is this. Yes, sometimes our prayers do not go according to what we want. But thanks be to God that the great helper the Holy Spirit, Jesus is praying for what is not good for us, but what is best. And what is always is best for us is according to the Word. As it says in Ephesians 1, if you flip back over there, he chose us in him before the foundation that, that we should be, look, holy and blameless. That's the trajectory of the Holy Spirit, that the power of the Word is pointing to us here in this text and here through this power of this prayer. And so I say this, with this knowledge, and we're only in verse 14, I'm worse than Grant. How about that? In a good way. We're taking slow the Scripture. But I say this as, as your associate pastor. How are you doing with your prayer time? With the knowledge that you have received from God in verse 14, are you praying for the loved ones in your life who don't know Christ? What about the neighbor who's going through cancer? What about that family member who is living right now with no job, barely getting by on the paycheck? What about that person in your life that you have some tension with, that you're angry at? All those and many more. Come to the Lord in prayer. Come to our elder-led prayer services here on the first Sunday of every month, Sunday night evening of every month, as we come together as a body of Christ and pray for the needs of our church, pray for the needs of others, our mission partners in the world. It is a sweet hour of prayer, like the hymn says to us. Because the reality is this, if we don't pray, what we are saying to God is that we are going to result in pragmatism or some man-made solution. And if you're like me, if your life is a dumpster fire sometimes, <laughs> the last thing you need is a Kenny man-made solution. <laughs> You don't want me coming with the answers. But if we are going to come together and be a body of prayer, and body I mean church of prayer, man, we can see God work. Look with me in verse 15. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And whom every family in heaven and earth is named. What is Paul saying here? God is the creator of all. He's the author of life, as Grant said just a few weeks ago in May, on May 8th. But he is not talking about all tribes and people here. 
What Paul is referring to here in verse 15 are people who, the people who are God's elect, meaning those who were saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he means here. And when he says everyone in heaven and on earth, he's meaning this. The ones who are heaven, those are the ones who have gone on before us. That's what he means by heaven. And the ones here on earth are the ones who are living now, like you and I, and as well as the ones who are going to, Lord willing, go on before us, which again shows us the power of God's election as we see, as we see in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. But the key word here is anyone, anyone. And I'm pulling that out because this is the power of the gospel, how the gospel unites all people. Now I'm pulling that out for us to see in verse 15, because as Martin Lloyd-Jones poured out, I think I'll put this in your outline, I do believe, he says, Paul said this in light of this message to the Ephesians, that they are no longer Gentiles, but they are part of the family of God. The reason is this. Where your origin, your ethnicity came from, the context of where Paul is, and very much we see even the gospel account, as you see, remember when Jesus goes to the woman at the well? Samaritans are what? Pushed off to the side. You see constant ethnic uh, uh, rivalries and the looking down of different cultures within the biblical times over and over and over again. But what we see here all through the power of the gospel, as it says in Colossians 3, 11, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, but Christ is all and in all. The gospel unites all people, ladies and gentlemen. There are no social statuses, there are no stereotypes, there are no classes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I need to pull that out because we see that danger of that heresy creeping in the life of the church. We're all united by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter where you've come from, it doesn't matter your background, your education, your ethnicity, it doesn't matter. Jesus unites. Jesus unites and brings us into this brings us out of the dominion of darkness into this marvelous light. And that is why we are called the family of God. You know that great hymn that Bill and Gloria Gaith wrote, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Does anybody know that song? We used to sing it when I was growing up after people would join the church. Um, I'm, but in that little song, it talks about how all come together and be able to come as one church. That's the power of the gospel. Now look with me in verses 16 through 17 that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ in your hearts through faith. Due to the grace and the mercy that we have from God, he is giving us an eternal inheritance. He's giving us an eternal inheritance. And this is what he means there in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory. Notice that. It's not our glory. It's his glory. Paul Notice this in his prayer, whether you caught it or not, in verse 16. Notice first, out of the riches of his glory, notice what he is not praying for. Look at the negative as one way to look at this. What is he not praying for? He's not praying for his circumstances or the circumstances of the Ephesians church to be changed. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to go a little bit further within, within this. Now, Paul's in prison. Okay, remember that. He's in a jail cell. But then if you go a little bit further on, if you know much about the church in Ephesus, you know not only that Ephesus is a strong politically, economically city, but as we know in Acts chapter 19, Paul preached against what was going on within Ephesus, which was pagan worship and the occult. 
There was serious evil being practiced within Ephesus. And Paul says all that is of, of Satan himself, of the occult and pagan worship. Go back and read Acts 19, 23 through 41. And so what Paul's saying here in verses 16 through 17, the negative, as he is praying for the spiritual needs first. Praying for the spiritual needs first. And this is all coming out of the riches of his glory. If we are going to be praying, and as the Spirit is always going to point us to being holy and blameless before Him, we can be sure that He's going to make sure that our inner man, our whole, that the, our heart is going to be pure first, instead of taking care of the circumstances. And that can be a hard pill to swallow, can't it? A lot of times when you and I are going through a season of suffering, we are praying for that need to be taken care of, and rightly so. If someone is sick, we're praying for them to get healed. If someone is jobless, we are praying for the, for the Lord to provide a job for that person. Those are right prayers. Those are good and godly prayers. But through those circumstances, what we see here in verses 16 through 17 is that Paul is praying for their holiness. The spiritual needs are coming first. And this is the MO of Paul. Remember Ephesians chapter 4? Excuse me, Philippians chapter 4. Remember when he prays there? Even though he is going through hardship and suffering, in Ephesians chapter 4, he deflects from self and says, I have everything I need because of Christ. And he is selfless. And he is directing his attention and his heart for the Philippians first and how they're walking in communion with Christ. That's what he's concerned about. Even if you flip back to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he says this, For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing with the knowledge of God, with strength of all power. That's the heart of Paul. That is the heart of Paul that we see here in Colossians 1. And notice it's in chapter 1. Now, of course, the prayer goes on a little bit further, but you can see that Paul, as it says in your outline, I believe I put it in there, that our prayers need to be sensitive to the spiritual needs of others. Our prayers have to be sensitive to the spiritual needs of others. Because when we are praying for the salvation of our loved ones, when we are praying for someone, no matter what the season of life they are in, we need to be attuned to what they need according to the Word of God. Because think about it. Think about the practical side of it. I keep saying it like a broken record, and I'm sorry if that's uh, getting annoying after, after a while, but think about that moment where you have been in a season of suffering. Do you not realize when you have come out of it how much, we, I pray, that your deeper the love of the Word of God grows? Your sense of walking in the holiness of God ever increases? That you have a love for His Word? That you have a love to serve the church? and to want the body of Christ to advance in the kingdom of God and for the gospel to go forth. You see how the Holy Spirit works in that element, even in suffering first, and then a lot of times take care, takes care of those needs that you, ha- that you have uh, that need to be taken care of. Sometimes I forget, and I say this to myself, that we forget that we need to be like Jacob in Genesis chapter 32 and wrestle with God. That we need to wrestle with God, yes, with 
life's circumstances and happenings, but we need to be wrestling with God with our spiritual needs. When I pray for you, capital, I pray a lot of times Ephesians chapter 3. I pray for your holiness. I pray for you to walk in purity. I pray for you to be protected and always go back through to the Word of God for all of your decisions. I pray Psalm 1 so that you will be a, like a tree rooted and grounded in the things and the doctrine of God. That's what I pray for you. That's what our elders pray for you. That's what our prayer team prays for you. And what a rich wrestling it is because that's what you need. Yes, we have wants. Yes, we have desires. And those are good and godly sometimes. But what we need is to walk in holiness and to see the riches of His grace and the mercy of the grace of our Lord penetrate our hearts and our minds so that we can live a life that is giving glory to the King of kings and Lord of lords. I put a quote in here from Sinclair Ferguson. He says this. This is one of my favorite quotes from Sinclair. I can tell you how spiritually strong our church is as how often they come together in prayer and pray for one another. Are you praying for one another? Are you praying for the church? Are you praying for the church's protection? Let me tell you this, and I hesitate even saying this, but what we preach here, people hate. What Grant preached here on May 8th about abortion, people hate, and we are literally getting wonderful love letters from people who hate that message. You praying for him? You praying for me? You praying for our elders, for our deacons, our children's ministry, our prayer ministry, our women's ministry, our men's ministry? Our worship ministry? You praying for your fellow life class member? Ladies and gentlemen, I can't exalt it even more that we need it. That we need desperately to be praying for one another. Because that's what's going to help us to walk and to see the beauty of the riches and the glory of Christ. Let me go on a little further. When you see the riches of his glory, you also have to see that Paul is wanting us to see here the wonderful and the glorious attributes of God. That's what he's pulling out for us when he says the riches of his glory. Now, if you know the doctrine of God, of who God is, you know that his attributes, one does not supersede the other. All are coming out together. All is one. And so when he says the riches of his glory, he's pulling out all the attributes of God. He's pulling out all the stops. If you were to pull open that organ, you would see a bunch of stops there. That means he's pulling everything out here in, in Ephesians 14, uh, excuse me, 16 and 17. But when he says the riches of his glory, we also need to see that within the doctrine of God, of who God is, that means also his riches are endless, are endless. Because if you go to the person and the work of God, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 1, where you see in Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, which means he was there before time began. Which then, if you go just a few chapters into, uh, after Genesis chapter 1, if, and then if you go into Exodus, when God tells Moses, go back to e Egypt and say, to tell the people of Israel, I am who I am, when God declares his name to Moses and the name that he will use to Israel and to Pharaoh, that means I am who I am, that God is self-existent, that he is dependent on no one and no thing, that God is saying that he is, existed even before time began. 
And then when you look at the book of Revelation, what are we going to be doing forever? Worshiping Jesus forever and ever and ever. And I give you those examples because that is a picture of what Paul's pulling together for the riches of his glory because that is the person and the work of who God is. He is endless, and his glories are endless. And which is why it goes back to what he has said over seven times in the book of Ephesians, and that is a part of the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But through that mystery, we have access to Christ, and we have access to the Father through what means? Prayer. And it's all coming together. All coming, all coming together. And some of the riches that he even goes back to, and I quoted Ephesians 2 earlier, but some of the riches we have here is God's blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And the heavenly places God is giving us. He's choosing us for the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4. Now that's a reality I wish we could go deeper in. Because once you realize that before time and space began that God knew the Christian, God knew who his elect people were, that is a humbling reality. Look at Ephesians 1.7. His redemption, his forgiveness, and of course, giving us inheritance, as it says in verse 11, all through Jesus Christ. What beautiful riches there are. We have all because of Christ. And what riches we have that are endless. Listen, it, I would be up here for hours and hours upon end if we began to list more and more of his riches. But they're endless and they're perfect and they're humbling and it should, within our prayer, want to give glory to God and worship his great name. And this is also a picture for us to see the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. The Holy Spirit working inside of us, helping us, the power, listen to this, in verse 16, the power of his Spirit in your inner being. That's what the Holy Spirit does, working within our hearts. As it says, and I'm not going to read all of the long quote, but I put this long quote from Steve Lawson in here for you to see the, of what the Holy Spirit does. I'm just going to read a couple things together. Theologically speaking, regeneration and conversion are two sides of the same coin. What he's talking about is the power of the work of the Spirit. God's sovereign activity by the work of the Spirit. He regenerates, says a little bit further on, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, conversion is the first exercise of the new nature and ceasing from the old forms of life to the new life. Look at the very end. Regeneration is the cause and the con conversion is in the effect. Put it another way, regeneration is the root and conversion is the fruit. I put that in there for you to see the power of the Holy Spirit working within, uh, our, inside of the Christian. What Paul is saying, stated in another way, is that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And through the reality of Christ dwelling within our hearts, we have access to these riches. And how do we act, have access to the riches? Again, it goes back to Jesus. What a beautiful blessing and gift it is from our Lord. And yes, the reality is this. As it says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, we don't do not lose heart. Though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. What's the objective there? The objective is Christian, and if you are a Christian, that's a big if. If you are a Christian, you're being made in the image of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit is working inside of you, regenerating your inner man so that you can be made like the image of Christ. 
taking you back to what we had in the Garden of Eden. Perfect communion. Where God is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, where it says that he walked in the cool of the day. Can you imagine that? In the cool of the day, there he is, walking around. But the reality is this, ladies and gentlemen. We can walk with him in the cool of the day, with the humidity of the day, all because of the gift of prayer. All because of the gift of prayer. I want to close our time because one, I want to highlight for you to come back and hear the remaining verses together. But also I want you to see as we close our time together of the eternal blessings, the glorious blessings that we have through Christ and through what the power of prayer really means for you and for me here at Capital Community Church. When you realize that God is working through all three persons of the Trinity working within us, it is a humbling and glorious gift that we have. Now, I didn't say the word Trinity a lot. The Bible is not in, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But I, I pray, I, the reason why I left the word Trinity out as much as I could is because I wanted you to see all three persons working together, whether you realize it or not. And the beautiful gift of that is all because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Prayer is humbling. Prayer is humbling because it puts us before a holy God. And as we see, as our Lord instructs us in Matthew chapter 6, we are, we are called to come to the Lord with everything. You see that? Whether you realize it or not, in Matthew chapter 6, the description that Jesus gives to us in, that, in the Lord's prayer is that we come for everything. Forgiveness of sins, we're hallowing ourselves, coming in worship. We're praying for the needs of others. So for everything, we see in those just as few short verses. But even though we've only gone through verses 14 to 16, I pray that you've seen the riches of the glory of God and to know that God hears our prayers and that the Holy Spirit is aligning our hearts to pray according to the will of God. And that's what matters most. And so that we can live life that is pleasing and giving all the glory and the praise to the King of Kings. Because here is the reality. As R.C. Sproul said years ago, the reason why you, you exist and I exist is for him. And our prayer life matters. And our life matters. And so I pray, Capital, use these, these few verses to see how we have access to God the Father through the means of prayer. And then let's go to him now and pray. Bow your heads with me. Eternal Lord and Heavenly Father, to you, O Lord, be glory and power and majesty and praise. Father, thank you for the gift of your word, how you wrote it through the means of our understanding and how you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to understand your word. And so, Father, it's through the Spirit I pray, and we pray together as the body of Christ through the power and the working of the gospel. We ask that you apply your eternal truth onto our hearts and to renew our minds, making us and forming us more in the engine of Christ and helping us to live for your glory. Father, we love you, and we pray all these things in the name of your Son. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, 
check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.